Tis the season of giving. We are officially, as you guys know, in the month of December, and it's Christmas season. Are you guys excited for Christmas season? Yeah. Right? When I think of Christmas, you usually think of gifts. It's gift season. It's gift time. It's a time for us to think about uh, gifts maybe that we want to receive and also gifts that we are uh, going to receive uh, ourselves, but then also give to other people. Uh, there is, uh, I have a question, let's see, uh, has anyone ever made a, a Christmas list before? Yeah, maybe when you were younger, maybe you still do it. Does anyone still do it? Amazon, right? Yeah. It's exciting to wake up on Christmas morning and uh, you're anticipating to see if you got what you wanted. Reminds me of an article I was reading about the top Christmas gifts over the decades, starting from the 50s all the way to uh, the 2020s. Uh, and I want to see if this rings a bell, Okay. Actually, let's do something. Let's see if you guys can guess what decade this is, okay? Mr. Potato Head. Lower, lower. The 50s, okay? The 50s. What else was in the 50s? The original, the OG Barbie doll. The Barbie doll was made in the, uh, not made in the 50s, but that was one of the most popular toys in the 50s. Also, a classic, the classic Play-Doh was uh, famous in the 50s. Also, let's go, let's do another one. Let's see, uh, Easy Bake Ovens. What do you guys think for that one? <laughs> the 90s? The 90s? The 60s. Easy Bake Ovens were the 60s. <laughs> uh, okay, a lot of you guys do this one. The Rubik's Cube. You guys just know it's going to be, it's the 70s. It was the next one. I made that one easy. All right, all right. This one's fun. In the summer, the super soaker. Super soaker. You guys know what that is? That, that gun that shoots like water like really fast? The 90s, the 90s, the 90s. You guys know what beanie babies are? What was that? That was the 90s. That was the 90s. Beanie babies were the 90s. Uh, you guys familiar with uh, My Little Pony? All right, what's that one? What do you guys think is that one? 2000s? No, a little too late. No, the 80s. My Little Pony was popping in the 80s. My Little Pony was popping in the 80s. Are right, you guys, I've, I don't know, maybe you have this one. Uh, Nintendo Wii, when was that? 2000s, yeah, 2000s, 2000s. Uh, if you guys know me, one of my personal favorites, the Razor Scooter. When do you think the Razor Scooter was popping? It's like completely damaged, yeah, uh, 2000s, the 2000s. What about slime? Slime. You know that slime? 2010, 2010, yeah. Uh, Elsa. Elsa from Frozen. 2010. 2010. Let's see if you guys know this one. Paw Patrol. Twenties, yeah, 2020s and above. You guys know this one. This has to Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. 2020, 2020. All right, 2020. When we talk about Christmas, we know there's going to be gifts involved all the time when we talk about Christmas. And when it comes to Christmas this year, this month, I want us to most appreciate the best gift there is, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, think about Christmas. Christmas is exciting. There's lots going on, but it can become so easy to get distracted and miss out on the best gift, a person, Jesus Christ. But my goal today is that you would come out of this with a fresh uh, understanding of the reason for the season. So if you've got a Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 6, continue on to verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Starting in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Sometimes when a couple uh, is going to have a, uh, a baby, they will send out something called a birth announcement. Have you guys ever heard of a birth announcement? I don't think I've ever received one, but I was reading about this. Birth announcement. Uh, it's when they're, gonna, they're getting ready to have a baby, uh, and they, it's, a, it's a postcard. It's with, uh, it usually has a, the name of the baby, the way, uh, the, the birthday, the day it was born, and it's supposed to let people know that, hey, my baby has been born, like it's here. Uh, and so here in our passage, we just read in Isaiah 9, we have a birth announcement, a postcard being sent to Israel, but really to the world at large. So keep that in mind. Now th- think about it. I just said that typically uh, birth announcements in our modern day are usually sent after the birth of a child. This birth announcement is different. When was this sent? Before. This is different. This is before the birth of the child that it's talking about here, Jesus Christ. Now, question. You guys know how long before Jesus was born was this announced? More than 500. More than 600. 700 years. I want you to just think about that. This was announced 700 years before the actual fulfillment of it came true. Jesus was born 700 years after this. And so this is a a different uh, type of birth announcement. This is completely different. Like, just think about that. 700 years before someone is born. Like, what? How does that even happen? If God is involved, that's going to happen. This is a different type of birth announcement. See, when Jesus was born, it wasn't a surprise Uh, People knew his birth was coming. The people that were walking around uh, in that time that Jesus was born, people knew that he was coming. But also, more importantly, God knew that he was going to send his son to come to earth. God had Jesus Christ in his plan the entire time. Jesus' birth was promised a long, long time ago. And we're just going to start off there. That's our point number one. Know that Jesus' birth was promised long ago. Know that Jesus' birth was promised long ago. See, this is not a plan that God, you know, makes up on the spot or as he's going through uh, time. He planned it out, as Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world. So if God is outside of time, he is completely in control of everything that happens, God plans it and executes it. Uh, who's ever seen uh, the, Mandal- the Mandalorian? What's that common phrase that they always say? This is the way. Think about it. God says that this is going to be my way to save humanity. I am going to send my son to come and redeem his people. So even before that, 700 years I said, right, before Jesus was born, this extends way Beyond that, before Isaiah's time of writing, if Isaiah's writing in the year 700 BC, this extends way beyond that. Let's flip to the first book of our Bible, which is the book of Genesis. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis 3. What verse do you guys think it is? Verse 15. If you guys were in train, today you guys are going to notice we're going to be going to a lot of those passages that we studied over the weekend. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is what's called, I like saying this because it's a funny word. That's how I remember it. The proto-euangelion. Proto-euangelion. Proto means first. Euangelion means good news. Good news means gospel. And so this means that this is the first instance of the gospel in the entire Bible. In God's divine library, in the 66 books, this is the first instance where God is going to say that I have good news for humanity. Now, I I like to call a sermon like this where we're going to be traversing uh, biblical territory. Like, we're going to take a biblical uh, field trip. We're going to go to a lot of different verses. And so, uh, buckle up, because it's going to be a lot. But it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, let's just understand before we get to Genesis 3 where we are. What is in Genesis 1? God creates everything there is, right? The world. 
Genesis 2, we see uh, that God creates man. Genesis 3, we see that man gives into, into sin. Into sin. Adam and Eve are the two, two first human beings, and they refuse to submit and to obey uh, God's kingly rule over them. And not only them, but they're, everyone else that would come after them, including me and you that are here. We also refuse to obey and submit to God's kingly rule. Important to keep that in mind. See, our problem, what is our problem before God? And what is Adam and Eve's problem here? It is that they have a worship problem. They have a worship problem. We have, you guys have heard about it, we have a sin problem. But that's because we fail to uh, uh, su- submit to God and to worship him. We fail to worship God, our creator and our maker. Naturally, we just refuse to do that. Adam and Eve decided to do that. They were not going to worship God and obey him. Same with us. That's why we are left in this predicament where all humanity needs a savior. I want us to think about this afresh this Christmas season. Think about the gravity of that, that all humanity needs a savior. There's not someone that doesn't need saving, that doesn't need redemption. We were created to worship. That's what we were created for. If I ask this question, I've asked my small group guys before, and I want you guys to say it out loud. The common answer, why were we created? What's the common answer that people give? Which is good. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? You guys have heard of that before. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Let's talk about that. Common biblical phrase, which is solid. It, it's biblical. What does it mean to glorify God? What does that actually mean? We have to know our terms. To glorify God is, like I said, our worship problem. We have a worship problem. Glorifying God means to worship him. Uh, giving glory means to give attention, to give credit to someone else, to say it's that person. You're pointing to them. Imagine it's like a, uh, like a foam finger. You're, po- you're pointing to someone else. You're pointing to God. Uh, I like thinking about it like this. Maybe you guys, some, uh, some of you have heard this example uh, when you're driving down the freeway and you see a dealer, what do you usually see in front that does this? The thing that kind of looks like a string cheese, right? The inflatable, it's called a tube man. I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's called a tube man. The tube man. What is that tube man there for? Why is it in front of a dealership? To give attention to the dealership. As you are driving by, you see that this tube man is saying, hey, come to Toyota and buy a car. Hello, come over here. We, as image bearers, are like that for God. We are like tube men. Another way to think about it, uh, uh, when, you're, when you're driving uh, down the street and you see one of the guys flipping the sign, you guys see that? Where they're like pointing to uh, a furniture store and they're like, hey, come over here. And it's funny when they drop them too. You know, they're flipping the sign. Same thing, like the tube men. We are like, we are intended to be like those guys that are flipping the sign pointing to God, giving attention and credit where credit is due to God. We were created to glorify God. That's what we were created for. Think of yourselves like those two men and like those guys that are flipping the sign. Now, we said, it's exactly our problem, that we have a worship problem. We don't bring glory to God. We don't worship him. This is where we are. This is where we are right now, as we're about to read in Genesis 3. Now, God could have left Adam and Eve and everyone else, me and you included, right there. You know, could have put his hands up and said, well, you guys did it. I'm just going to leave you guys in your sin. But of course, the story does not end there. God doesn't leave us. He sends us a Savior. Our eyeballs on the text now. Let's go to verse 15 of Genesis 3. It says, I will put enmity, enmity means hostility. Imagine like two bulls fighting each other. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Okay, here uh, God is talking to Satan. And between your offspring, who's Satan's, and her offspring, talking, to, uh, talking about Eve, he shall bruise your head. Question, who's the he? That's what we should be thinking right now. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Offspring, let's just define that. Just think of like kids, people that come after uh, the parents, kids. Now, for the rest of this sermon, keep an eye on that word, offspring. 
But here, the offspring is how many people? It's one. There's one offspring that's going to come from Eve and from God. Now, there's two lines here. We just said it was Satan um, and, and Eve. But really, it's almost, it's like a, uh, it's like a boxing match. It's, it's God versus Satan. There's two different uh, uh, opposing sides right here. This person that's, talk, that's talking about here uh, will come from the line of human beings. If he's going to come from Eve, it's going to be a human being. And so, the Savior will be a what? A human. The Savior that God is going to send will be a human. Now, that's one thing to say, but I want us to understand why that is. The Savior has to be a human. He actually has to be a human. Who sinned? Humans. Humans sinned. And so we need a what substitute? A human substitute. We need someone to come in our place. We can't have, I don't know, a rat or a squirrel, something like we can't have an animal come and save us. We need someone to come in our place, a human substitute. You know, just even by the way, Adam and Eve were the best humans there, there were. And so whoever this person is that's going to come has to have a different type of ability to come and save humanity. They need to be different. They need to be without sin. They have to be special. Now, this person also has to be not only a human, but he also has to be divine. Why is that? Who's defeating Satan here? Well, the person that's going to come. And so, if anyone is going to do that, they need to be divine. That means to be God. This person needs to be God, human and God at the same time. It says that the, this person that's going to come from Eve's line is going to crush the head of the serpent. Uh, he's going to give him a fatal blow. It's like if you're in a fight and someone uh, kicks your heel, okay? That might sting. That might hurt. What if they kick you really hard? Like what if they're a soccer player? Like, oh, that's going to hurt. Like you might do one of these where it's like, oh, that hurt. The Savior is going to get hurt. But what is the Savior going to do to, to the serpent? He's going to knock out the other person in the fight. Imagine like Mike Tyson or something. Like, he's going to knock out the person. What happens when you get knocked out? Well, you're just lost. You're done. And so the person that's going to come from Eve is going to win the boxing match. The person that loses is Satan. And so this Savior is going to win this fight. All right, and so we just saw that this person is going to be uh, human and divine. That's exactly what we just saw in our passage, in our main text. We saw that it says, For to us a child is born, and a son is given. And then it goes on to say, so that's his humanity. It's going to be a son. It's going to be a child. It also says that he's also going to be mighty what? Mighty God. Again, we see in both of these texts, Genesis 3.15, we just saw in Isaiah 9, this Savior is going to be a human and also God. It's going to be divine. Now, let's do some, uh, let's go on our Bible field trip. Let's go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Keep this in mind. This is all going to build up. Okay, we just learned that this person, this Savior, is going to be uh, human and also divine. He's going to crush uh, the serpent. He's going to win. This Savior is. Now, flip to Genesis 12. You guys know what verses we're going to read? One through three. One through three. All right, let's start right there. Verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. Okay, so this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. God is making a promise with Abraham. He's saying, uh, from you, you're going to get out of what land? Sorts of Ur, yes, Ur of the Chaldeans. Get out of Ur and come to Canaan. I'm now going to make a great nation out of you, and uh, people are going to be blessed through you. Now, drop down to verse 7. Look at this. What was that word that we said we have to keep our eyeballs on? Offspring. Check this out, verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, what appeared to him. 
this Savior, as we just read right now, is going to be from Abraham. He's going to come. What's the nation that Abraham would then uh, go into? The nation of Israel. The Savior, we learned another thing right here, is going to come from the nation of Israel. We just learned that he's going to be human and divine. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 12.1-3. He's going to come from Israel. Now, this is really interesting. We said that we have a worship problem, right? Flip to, if you have to in your Bible, Genesis 11. Genesis 11. We have a worship problem. We don't worship God as we ought to. Remember I said God made us to give him glory. Watch this. After sin came into the world, Genesis 3. Now there's sin uh, has made an entrance into the world. We reject to give God glory. Watch this. Drop down to verse 4. This is the Tower of Babel. You guys have probably read it before. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city in a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Who, what's going on right here? The people want to make a name for themselves. They want to, make, they want to give glory to themselves. They want to make themselves great, high, and exalted, giving glory to themselves and not who? And not God. We see here the extension of our problem, that we don't worship God. Remember uh, in Genesis 1, God says to be fruitful and to what? And to multiply. God commands that to Adam and Eve and everyone that would come after that. And what happens here? They're disobeying that. They're saying, I mean, lest we be dispersed. We don't want to be fruitful and multiply. Let's stay here. We're cozy right here. We don't want to go anywhere else. We don't want to obey God. And God says, nope, you're not going to do that. I'm going to change your language, and actually I am going to disperse you because I'm going to change your language. You guys are going to be out. You're not staying here. God intervenes and says, no. Worship problem. Now, turn with me to 2 Samuel. What chapter do you think I'm going to say? 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7. We're building right now. Genesis 3.15. The Savior is going to be human and divine. Genesis 12. He's going to come from the nation of Israel. Let's learn something else in 2 Samuel 7. We're going to start in verse 12. It says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom God is talking to David here. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This promised offspring is going to be a king. The Savior is going to be a king. That's our third thing that we just learned. He's going to be a royal a, a baby. He's going to be a royal baby. The Savior is going to be a royal baby. And that's exactly what Isaiah announced in Isaiah 9, that the government is going to be upon his shoulders, and the increase of his governments and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom. See, Jesus, the Savior and King, is promised throughout the Bible. We just looked at three texts. We see God moving along his plan so that his people would one day be able to rightly worship him. See, this is exactly what the gospel accomplishes, the good news of the gospel, that it enables you to have a right heart before God and a right spirit and the Holy Spirit in you, and you're now able to worship God. See, this is what we were originally made for. That's the good news of the gospel, that we can now worship God as he ought to be worshiped. And so what do we need? If our problem is for everyone, we all need divine intervention. God to come in and do something that we cannot do. Only God can do this for us. Think about this. Baby Jesus was on Mary's shoulders. Like, think about it. He had diapers on. Changed by Mary. Yet, as we just read in Isaiah 9 before, the government is going to rest on his shoulders. What? He's a baby, and yet the government rests on his shoulders. He has power. He's a king. See, lots of babies have grown up to be a king, but it's only one time that a king has become 
a baby. This is what I like to call the wonder of the incarnation. The wonder of the incarnation. God, the second person of the Trinity, would put on human flesh and come to save humanity, save you and me. God wants us to be amazed at this. Let's write that down for point number two. Be amazed at the incarnation. Be amazed at the incarnation. Point number two, be amazed at the incarnation. Incarnation, that really means to put on carne. I said this to my narrow guys the other day. Think about carne asada. To put on carne, to put on flesh. God would now really, it literally means to be infleshed, to be infleshed. God is now encased in human flesh. The second person of the Trinity is now encased in human flesh at his incarnation, incarnate. The God who, as 1 Timothy 6.16 says, dwells in unapproachable light and yet would come down to earth and put on flesh. See, this is going to be no ordinary human being. We just saw that. This is going to be, as the Bible says, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, Christ Jesus. Jesus. Christmas is all about this, the celebration of the wonder of the incarnation. This should leave us, how should it leave us? How should we respond? With our mouths wide open. How is it that God would do that for us? Let's try to fathom that. You're serving in kidsmen, okay? You got a little baby, you know, right here on your arms. Let's just say, just for an example, that baby is God. I want you to just, like, Picture that. You're holding a baby. You're looking at it. It's God. What? Like, what? How does that even happen? Exactly. Turn with me to, I think, one of the best passages, passages that talks about this. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Well-known passage. You guys have heard this before. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, we see there divinity, talking about Jesus. He is divine. He is God. And yet he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held onto. Hold up. Is this saying that God would come put on flesh and then not be God when he came to earth? No. If that ever happened, God would not be God. So then what is it saying that he emptied himself of? God is a king. He emptied himself of his divine kingly privileges, the things that kings do, royalty. Well, to do what? Verse 7, to, by, uh, but emptied himself by what? By taking the form of a servant, of a slave, really, but being, uh, be, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, we see their humanity. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. An amazing passage talking about the incarnation. I think a good way to think about this is that there was a man by the name of Joseph Cerna, a U.S. Army vet who, after coming out of the war, came back to the States and suffered from PTSD. He had a lot of trauma from the war, and because of that, that led him to be driving under the influence. And so he, he got caught uh, a lot, actually, and um, he was struggling to stay sober, couldn't stop drinking, and so he appeared before a judge, uh, and he heard out his case, and he actually admitted, as he was before the judge, uh, that he lied on a urine test that he was um, doing. And so it's like, oh, man, it was already bad, now it's even worse. And so the judge sentences him to jail. It's interesting because... Um, the judge actually ended up driving Joseph to jail. What? He ended up driving him to jail. So he walks with him, takes him there to his cell. They close his cell. A couple minutes later, he hears that the cell is opening. He sees the judge coming in. He sees that the door in the cell closes. What happens? The judge decides to stay the night with Joseph, Joseph Cerna, the army vet. And stays with them in the cell and says, I'm going to be with you here for the night. I want to stay with you. What happened there? 
the judge, loved Joseph so much that he would humble himself as a judge and come and live as a prisoner for that night and be in that cell. He humbled himself, similar to Jesus. And yet, it's similar, but it's not exactly what the gospel pictures. It's a great story, but there's one big thing that's missing. The judge didn't stay there with him, like his whole sentence. If this was a a, a correct picture of the gospel, a proper one, it would be that the judge would say to Joseph, hey, Joseph, peace, get out, get out of the cell. Uh, I'm actually going to come in here and serve that sentence for you. So you're out, you can go free, you know, go live your life, peace. I'm going to be in here for you. I'm going to be judged and sentenced to jail for you. It's really a substitution. When you think of the gospel, you have to think substitution, a full switcheroo. That's what the gospel is all about. In the incarnation, God would send his son to be a substitute for human beings, for you and me, which means that he had to be perfectly man and also perfectly God at the same time. Think about this. Baby Jesus, as we've been talking about, was vulnerable. Uh, He was susceptible, needing to uh, depend on people. And yet, he would one day grow up to die for our sins. I want you to just grasp that. What? He wasn't required to. He wasn't obliged to do that. But he willingly, willingly added humanity to what he already was, to his divinity, to him being God, and added carne, flesh. Why? Out of love for you. God would do that for you. Think about this, this Christmas season. God would do that for you. This should leave us amazed. Our mouths wide open that also, it should drive us to want to respond to God, not just amazement, but worship. That's point number three. Let's worship Jesus, the Savior King. Worship Jesus, the Savior King. Turn back to, uh, to Isaiah 9. Let's try to understand this text. Isaiah 9, verse 6. I'm going to start there. Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says... A wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is, is here is, giving, uh, is given four titles. Jesus was his name, like that's what people called him. And, and a title would be, as we said, there's four titles here. Uh, a title would be like, um, uh, like if someone worked at Chick-fil-A and they were the manager. Manager is their title. Okay, they're, I don't know, let's say I work at Chick-fil-A. Jose works at Chick-fil-A, but I'm the manager. Manager is the title. My name is Jose. That's exactly what it was for Jesus. And so just don't confuse that. It's not like he had like, like someone was like, hey, mighty God. Like, hey, uh, wonderful counselor. Like, no, they called him Jesus. But these are titles. They're descriptions. Uh, And remember, this is a birth announcement. And so it'd be like, imagine you get a birth announcement. This was 700 years before. I feel like if you got a birth announcement and it said, uh, CEO of Chick-fil-A. What? How How do you even know that? Like, what? The baby was just born. That's the point. It's like if it said, like, I don't know, best fry cook in all of California. It's like, how do you even know that? That's the point. Jesus was not born yet, and yet we see descriptions of what he's going to be like, of what he's going to do, of his accomplishments. A, a typical modern birth announcement doesn't, like, list uh, accomplishments that you've done. Why? Because the baby doesn't, hasn't done anything. Like, they don't do anything. They haven't done anything yet. There's no accomplishments yet. And yet, this is different. This is a different type of birth announcement. All right, let's look at the first one. Wonderful counselor. Uh, Counsel, that means wisdom. Uh, He offers uh, wonderful counsel, wonderful wisdom. That's sub-point A. Worship Jesus, the Savior King, for his wisdom. For his wisdom. We commonly call things wonderful. I I use that word. We, We say wonderful. We use that word. But wonderful here... In this passage, speaking of something that is, is mind-blowing, it leaves you at awe, out of this world. See, when Jesus came, people were amazed. Uh, the crowds flocked around him. Remember, he had tons of people, like he was popular. Jesus had tons of people around him all the time. 
And people marveled at his words. What was it about Jesus? It was his miracles, but it was also what he said. He just said things that were out of this world, mind-blowing. In other words, his, his words were beyond understanding. Jesus' words were beyond understanding. Now, where is Jesus' wisdom? If Jesus is God, where is God's wisdom found? If you guys are good Bible students, you would know that's in, in the Bible. In the Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. The Bible. Wisdom is found in the Bible. Now, question. Where do we get our counsel from? Where do we get our counsel from? Is it from our feelings or what we think, what we come up with? Or is it from God's divine book? See, Jesus' counsel, his wisdom, will never let us down. Our feelings, what we think, even our friends, if they're not reading the Bible, will let us down. God's wisdom found in the scriptures and God's divine 66 book library is never going to let us down. God's wisdom is found in the scriptures. And so, with a bunch of questions that we might have, I mean, especially, you guys are in junior high. I remember being in junior high, I had tons of questions about life. I have tons of questions about life now. Everyone does. Those are found in the scriptures. God's wisdom for life's questions are found in the Bible. That should propel us to fill our minds with God's word, with the wisdom. Like a sponge, let's saturate our minds with God's word. Everyone needs guidance. doesn't matter if you're in junior high, if you're in high school, if you're super old. You need guidance. We all need guidance. That's found in God's word. Second, he's called mighty God. The image really here is of a, a, a warrior, a warrior, someone who defeats his enemies. Uh, and think about it. This is how the Bible ends with uh, King Jesus defeating his enemies. Book of Revelation, Jesus wins. At the very end, Jesus is the conqueror. Remember Genesis 3.15? What happens there? Who wins? The Savior or the enemy? The Savior wins. The book of Revelation reveals that, that Jesus wins at the end. He is mighty God. He is the divine warrior. And that's subpoint B. Worship Jesus for his protective power. Protective power. Knowing that Jesus, the victorious warrior, is on your side should produce a confidence. A confidence that you're going to be all right all the time. Why? Because this divine warrior who wins at the end is on your side. He won't leave you. Practically, whenever things don't go your way, whenever you fail a test, whenever you don't make it on the team, whenever you get made fun of, where maybe it always seems like you're losing in this life, the divine warrior is on your side. Mighty God is on your side. Jesus, strong, mighty warrior. Thirdly, his third description and title is Everlasting Father. Now, if you're good Bible students, you've caught this. I know some of you are thinking, wait, I thought I was talking about the Son. Jesus, right? Second person. Why is it saying that he's Everlasting Father? What? Does that contradict the Bible? Can, how can he be father? I mean, I thought they were distinct persons within the Godhead. Um, they're three in one. Remember, what are we talking about here? Titles. What do titles do? They describe someone, what they do. And so Jesus is everlasting father in what he does. It's saying that Jesus is so tender that he cares for you like a father. He is everlasting father to you. That's subpoint C. Worship Jesus for his fatherly care. Worship Jesus for his fatherly care. He shows care and concern. Even especially if you don't have a dad, this resonates. Even if you do, if you feel alone, you feel unworthy, if you feel uh, unprotected, like you're not. Uh, provided for, unappreciated, 
He protects you and provides for you. The everlasting Father does. Jesus, the Savior, the promised one. He provides for you. He's close and he's intimate like a father. He loves you. Remember, what did we just learn in 2 Samuel? That the Savior is going to be a what? A king. Imagine your dad being the king. That'd be pretty cool. Like, if your daddy was the king. It's like, wait, that's kind of cool. Like, that's my dad. Exactly. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your everlasting father. He is the king, and yet he also acts like a father to you. He's like a dad. Everlasting. It's important there. He will eternally, everlastingly love you, care for you, provide, protect you, care for you. See, once you're in God's family, you become his child, and you'll never be alone. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. You're never going to be separated from his care. You're always going to be with him. He's always going to love you. Fourth title, last one, is that he is Prince of Peace. See, God is a God of peace. Specifically here, it's talking about Jesus, as we said. Jesus here provides peace. Peace is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's that there's no conflict or hostility between uh, parties, between two uh, people, but it's also this tranquility. So it's no conflict, but also tranquility. You're, you get a sense of well-being that everything's all right. It's okay. Peace. That's our fourth sub-point. Let's worship Jesus for his peace. We have to understand that, for his peace. See, this passage is really in context. It's talking about world peace. It's talking about world peace. One day Jesus will come back. Every knee is going to bow to his lordship. He's going to inaugurate earthly peace, worldly peace. Now, that's going to be everyone. Reality, that's going to be you and me, whether we want to or not. Sometimes that can be a scary passage if we have not bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And interestingly enough, you guys know where that passage is found? It's in Philippians 2. You guys know where, after what passage? The one that we just read. After God's incarnation, his humility is found in the incarnation. And yet after it says, don't think that Jesus is just, you know, this low and meekly person where he comes as a baby and, oh, look at him, he died for our sins. After that, it says that every knee is going to bow at the lordship of Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that, don't ever just think of Jesus' incarnation. Don't forget his exaltation after that, that Jesus is king. He was the king as a baby. Don't ever think that it's only like after, it's as he was a baby. Jesus is Lord and everyone's going to bow. We got to be ready for that. I want us to think of peace in just three different relationships. Quickly, I want us to experience this peace in these three different relationships. First, peace with God himself. Peace with God himself. Look, we start here for a reason. This is foundational to understanding what peace is. If we're going to pursue any sort of peace, it has to start with God. If we don't have peace with God, we won't have peace with anyone else. The world or our friends, we won't have peace with anyone else. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justification, that means to be declared righteous, that you stand before God and you are right before him. How do we do that? We said that we all have a worship problem. We have a sin problem. We're not right before God, and so we need a substitute. If Jesus is on your behalf and you are in Christ, the biblical word, you are justified. You are made right with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by what? By faith. It's not by us trying our best. It's by us realizing that we can't do that. Philippians 3, I can't do it by myself. I need someone else to live perfectly for me and to satisfy God's wrath on my behalf. Behalf. We have peace with God, it says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that the gospel is through another means. It's only through a person, the man Christ Jesus. It says, through him we have also obtained access by faith in this grace in which we stand, something we do not deserve. See, if you're not right with your creator, you don't have peace with him. If you are right with him, you do have peace with him. You're, if you're right, God's wrath towards us has been taken away, satisfied, biblical word, satisfied, taken away, put on someone else, on Jesus. 
God's wrath is coming for everyone. If Jesus comes in front of you and takes that, you are right with God. You have peace with God. You have no conflict. You have tranquility now with God. You, you have an inner sense of tranquility. I'm right before God. God adopts you into his family. That's what actually happens once we bow the knee to Christ. You are now an adopted child. He's your father. You have peace. You don't need to fear. There's therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this produces a confidence in your soul. And as you lie in bed, you are comfortable with the fact that if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be with Christ. If you're not right with God, that ought to scare us. That ought to produce fear in us. Now, second thing, peace with yourself. Peace with yourself. I'm going to explain this. This grows out of a peace with God. We, we said that we're going to start with peace with God. That's the first thing we need to get right. Second thing, peace with ourselves. Listen to this. You guys have heard this verse. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Listen to this. Do not be anxious about what? About anything. Think about anxiety. What is anxiety? It's the opposite of peace. Feeling an inner sense of tranquility. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, where your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, these emotions that come out when we're anxious, are, uh, are, it's our sinful flesh saying, uh, saying, I need to react like this. I need to react with sinful anxiety, with sinful worry. And Paul says to guard that, to guard it with God's peace. And that's because he's given that to you through having a right relationship with him. If you already have that, you can have peace as you are thinking about something and you're anxious. You can have peace about the situation. How? As you pray and trust him. It says to, uh, to cast, it really means to throw. Throw your anxieties on God. Don't go anywhere else to get rid of your anxieties because you can't. It's temporary and superficial. It's only through Jesus Christ and what he did for us that we can actually get rid, cast, to throw our anxieties on someone else. Don't ever try to go for some other source where you're trying to get rid of these anxieties that you might feel. Don't go anywhere else. Peace is only found in God. Listen to this verse, this great verse, Isaiah 26, 3 to 4. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Uh, a metaphor uh, talking about it's not going to change. God will not change. It's not like one day he's going to be like, no, nah, I don't want to deal with you today. Like, that's enough anxieties for today. Go to someone else. God is an everlasting rock. He will not change. You can always go to him. See, if you're God's adopted child, through repentance and faith, that's a means of obtaining this, repentance and faith, you already have peace with God if you've done that. And so this gives you a, a, a security when you're anxious. Be anxious about, about, about nothing. Also, lastly, peace with others. Peace with other people. Sometimes uh, this is out of our control, to have peace with other people. It, it's interesting because the Bible talks about this. Romans 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So sometimes this is like it's not our fault. We're trying our best. The Bible says to try your best. That's, God wants you to be faithful. Live peaceably with all so far as it depends on you. Sometimes there's bitterness, there's hostility. Listen to what Ephesians 4 says, verse 31 through 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, hostility, not having peace with other people, be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, reason right here, purpose clause, as God in Christ forgave you. It starts with peace with God. If you have peace with God, you are able now to forgive other people. You see, it's foundational. We start there, peace with God, and then you can have peace with other people. Now, this begs the question that we have to ask this Christmas season. Do you have peace with God? Have you experienced the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his saving work upon your life? 
Look, Jesus put on flesh in order, as these four descriptions just told us, to give us wisdom, protection, fatherly care, his peace. But only if we recognize that I have a giant problem before God. I don't worship God as I ought to. I have a sin problem. And nothing I can ever do can ever suffice to make me right with God. I can't keep like, going up the ladder because the ladder never ends. You're never going to reach God by yourself. You need someone else to come in your place. Remember, Adam and Eve failed to obey God. They rejected his authority. What's our reason for our creation? Why were we made? To worship God, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. We failed to do that. I want you guys to just sit in that. Think about that. If you sit in the problem, understand the problem, you'll realize that the solution is the only way. There's nothing else. Realize that the purpose for why we're created, we're designed to give glory to God. And that starts when we repent and trust in someone else. And the best gift this Christmas season in Jesus Christ. Look, there's no greater Christmas gift than receiving Jesus. That's the best thing you can do this Christmas. There's also no greater present to God than to give your whole self to him. That's what he wants. He wants to be Lord over your life because he created you. And that happens as we repent. We deposit our trust in him. My prayer is that we'd be people who truly worship God this Christmas season. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful that you have not left us. We just read in the scriptures, God, that our problem is gigantic, and yet you have not left us fending for ourselves and having no access to you. Out of your love, you would send your son to put on flesh, live a life that we couldn't live, and to pay the, the debt of sin that we, we should pay. You provide access to you. But we are thankful for that. I just pray, help us to remember that this Christmas season. To not be opening gifts without remembering that the best gift is the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in your, in your name. Amen.